0: everybody. Welcome back to Shannon's Lumber Industry Update. This is episode 74, and this week I'm talking to a local tree removal and sawmiller and arborist, Caleb Darnell. He runs CDs Trees out of Hot Springs, Arkansas. We had a great conversation about this whole idea of local lumber, and we got a great peek into really a full source solution from the guy that's coming out and diagnosing how to drop the tree all the way to deciding how to saw the log the boards and reselling it and even building things on commission from the lumber that he fells himself. So without further ado, I wanna to welcome to the show Caleb Darnell. He runs a company called CDs Trees. He's down in Hot Springs, Arkansas, and they are, at face value, a tree removal company. If you look at their Instagram account, You might think they're a tree removal company or you might think it's some sort of circus act because the amount of high wire like trapeze work I'm seeing on that Instagram channel is crazy. Like you guys need like juggling or something to go with it. It's it's impressive. (laughs) So officially, welcome to the show, Caleb. Um, I'm really excited to 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 hear about your business and, and kind of tap into your knowledge of of local trees. So
1: welcome aboard. Thank you for having me. That's uh, it's a pleasure and an honor.
0: Well, Caleb reached out to me on Instagram because um, I've been kind of—I feel like I've been preaching native woods and local woods lately—and um, I just continue to get more and more excited about it as I talk to um, arborists and tree removal guys and sawmill owners who are are kind of excited to have a voice, excited that there's some interest in some of their wood. So. Caleb, tell us a little bit about your business, uh, maybe a little bit of your origin story and, and what your business looks like today.
1: All right, well, you, you touched on it just a little bit there. Uh, we spend a lot of our time in the uh, arboriculture field. So uh, a lot of tree removals, uh, preventive work, cabling, pruning, things like that. Um, all total, I've got about 14 years in that industry. 12 of it now here in hot springs okay and without getting part of the world by the way absolutely yeah it is that area it is wonderful here without getting too much into the tree service side of things you know that's a whole nother industry that that can be another conversation um that is a great source of you know logs for milling i started probably eight years ago with a 20-inch Alaskan sawmill, mm-hmm. it is brutal running one of those. <laughs> uh, I think I threw my back out one time running it, and uh, that kind of that, that that was the start of reclaiming wood. Uh, you know, beyond just like firewood, uh, you know, single use, you know, reclamation. Um, uh, I I didn't produce a huge volume. Uh, at that time I had not even owned a skid steer yet. So it was quite challenging, uh, uh, getting logs out of yards, getting them on, on a trailer, hauling them back. And when I finally got a skid steer that just opened up a whole nother world of possibilities. I could start getting logs out of people's yards without, you know, destroying their yards by dragging a log with a truck mm-hmm. and, uh, started salvaging logs over the last maybe four years i've tried several other small sawmill outfits around here trying to get people to to mill a decent volume for me but they all had basically other jobs and they were kind of doing this on the side and i wasn't getting the volume that i needed to build up inventory and uh, a little over a year ago uh, we took, uh, delivery of our, uh, sawmill, a Timber King 1220 Ooh, and nice. yeah, we really started ramping up. Uh, I still have, I have a friend that has a little bit larger mill than mine and occasionally when I can't mill something or if I want to get, you know, big wide slabs, uh, I'll have him bring his mill out and, and, uh, he'll, he'll mill for us. Um, what's your capacity on that,
0: on your mill?
1: 28 inches okay. uh at a maximum uh for like cutting slabs if i'm gonna turn a log into a cant and then cut dimensional lumber i think i can start out with maybe a 33 or a 34 inch log okay. um and that's that, that's a big log oh, uh that's a heavy log it, it yeah it it sometimes you kind of got to wrap your mind around the numbers. You're like a ah, 28 inch log. That's, you know, I want a 40 inch wide slab and you're like, well, yeah, we'll go, go walk up to a, a 28 inch log and just see how massive that is. Yeah. Um, so,
0: yeah, that's actually a really good point because I hear a lot uh, you know, people say, you know, I'm hiking through the forest or driving through the forest and there's a lot of, you know, real skinny trees out there. And I see, you know, it's kind of like, If you were to walk up and run a tape measure around that quote unquote skinny tree, you might be really surprised. Um, Or I hear of a lot of people who see active logging and they're shocked at, quote, how small the trees are that are being cut down. Um, And, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) they're not that small, actually. Um, Yeah, you may be only getting a 12 inch wide board out of it, but that's still a pretty significant tree. And I, I imagine, as you discovered, especially before the skid steer, they're nearly impossible to move, like in log form. You know, when you're getting boards now, you can't bucket to length. So it becomes a whole different ball of wax to, to move that thing around. Not just getting it out of the yard without tearing it up, but just getting it up onto the sawmill um, is a bit of an issue.
1: Yeah. Um, and our, our sawmill, it's a ground set, it's not a portable sawmill. Mm-hmm. So I only need to lift a log maybe eight inches. Uh, eight, eight or nine inches to get it up onto the mill, uh, but our bigger of our two skid steers, we can lift about four thousand pounds with it. So I can I can get a pretty good size log up nice. on that mill.
0: That's fantastic. So the well, um, you started out just taking the trees down, um, and let, let's talk a little bit about that. Um, why are the trees coming down um what kind of trees are you removing and and, and why i guess
1: yeah there's a pretty good range of reasons for removals um uh, a storm damage uh, can mm-hmm. be one uh, that doesn't come up all that often uh, dead trees is is a, a pretty common removal for us mm-hmm. or trees that that are, are on the way out, you know, they, uh, maybe construction damage. Um, you know, they put a new pipeline through ripped up a bunch of roots and then the tree is just, you know, a steady decline in its health yeah. and gets to a point where people don't want, they don't want the risk anymore of this tree, uh, you know, near their home. Sure. Um, uh, lot clearing. We don't do a whole bunch of that, but, uh, there's, there's a lot of construction going on here in Hot Springs, and occasionally we get into a lot clearing that needs to be a little more surgical. I, I would say, you know, a, a, a big excavator can knock trees down, you know, without any effort. But if we've got a lot of structures nearby, sometimes a, a, a machinery operator says, nah, I don't feel comfortable pushing these trees over. And that's when we come in, you know, with more surgical precision we can we can get these trees down without any collateral damage mm-hmm. um, uh, but on that construction side there's a lot of that you know people will make a, a, a remodel their house you know a little add-on and they need to take a tree down um, one that is a reason that is fairly annoying to me is when they say I'm tired of the leaves. I, you'd yeah. be surprised how often that, that gets said. I've heard that um, one in my neighborhood a few times. You, you
0: see the tree <laughs> yeah. truck show up and you're just walking the dog and like, Oh, I'm taking the tree down. You know, what's wrong with it? Oh, I just hate raking the leaves. And, and I very quickly walk away. I'm like, I can't say something nice. Just walk away.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, you know, uh, and i'm not alone in this struggle uh, a, a lot of other arborists you know we, we get caught in this we have a idealized uh you know image of the world where no we don't have to remove anything we're just going to preserve everything well that's not that's not realistic you know in a lot of cases when it comes down to somebody having to choose you know between the tree or th- their home
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah they're they're going to choose their their home and sure. So a scenario like that would be, uh, you know, roots getting into septic lines or uh, roots as they increase diameter over their lifespan. They can start lifting concrete slabs, you know, cracking, you know, brick foundations. Um, and so, you know, we we push as hard as we can for, for preservation, but that doesn't always meet the goals that, that are trying to be achieved. Sure. Um, so and, and because of that, you know, if, if I said one day that I will no longer be doing removals, uh, the next day I'll probably be hanging up the closed sign because that mm-hmm. is a the, the bulk of our you know, revenue stream is yeah. uh, removals. And uh, back to kind of the beginnings of me milling, there were there were so many trees that I just had to cut up into firewood chunks to be able to get them like on a, on a dolly and get them rolled out of a yard that it was just, you know, it was, it was starting to wear on me. I was like, man, I'm wasting a lot of potential, you know, beautiful lumber Mm -hmm. and just, you know, one one thing led to another, uh, patience, but having, having a goal off on the horizon that, you know, I, I I don't know when I'm going to get there, but that's where I'm headed. And I know I'm going to get there and, you know, things are, are lining up, you know, more rapidly now on being able to salvage all all this wood.
0: Sure. So how does that change your approach to, you know, your, your average removal? Um, Obviously you, you can't, I mean, I've seen a lot of uh, tree companies come and do things in my own neighborhood around the area and, you know, you kind of buck the standing tree and you're, You're pulling down little pieces like little. You're not actually felling the big, you know, huge, long, tall thing. Because in many instances, you don't know what's under the ground. If you drop a whole trunk, you, you know, may shatter structures underground. Um, You know, it's obviously a lot more precision required to fell a full tree. Um, But when you're thinking in terms of lumber and you're trying to preserve as much of that central bowl as you can, um, how does that change how does that change the, the, I mean, imagine that would change your entire business um, and how you approach it and how you take it down.
1: Certainly. Um, when I, when I show up on bids now, uh, I'm, I'm seeing saw logs. Yeah. And, uh, one thing that I always have to keep in mind is, uh, first and foremost, it's, uh, safety is, is our largest overriding, uh, you know, theme. Um, I don't want to get hurt. I don't want my guys to get hurt. You know, they don't want to get hurt. I don't want to hurt anybody passing by. Uh, so safety is number one. Uh, second is property damage. Uh, and then either third or or somewhere down that list is salvaging logs. Mm -hmm. Um, if we were actual loggers out in the woods, then it's, you know, we fell whole trees, we we buck them, you know, get our our good uh, logs out of them. Uh, But by harvesting these trees out of an urban environment, you know, I have higher considerations. Um, Most of the time I can get at least eight foot logs off of trees. Mm -hmm. Occasionally they're in such a tight spot that we have to you know, block a trunk down. You know, three or four feet at a time. Uh, when that happens, you know, it's it's firewood. If it's a hardwood, if it's pine, it's you know, pretty much trash. Um, and occasionally, we will bring a crane in, and that will allow us to pick out you know, larger uh, trunk sections and and salvage some wood, right. but. The cranes are so expensive that on a lot of like you know pine, you know a lot of the oaks, they're they're low enough dollar that I wouldn't bring a crane out just to get a couple of logs. Yeah, um, that's a walnut a tree. Trip. Much more exactly. Trip. Yeah,
0: hmm. exactly. That's interesting. So have you found that? I mean, certainly you know, I'm, I'm glad you kind of prioritize things like that. And you know, certainly the the saw log thing is, a, is way down the list of priorities, because I imagine that would actually change your bid as well. I'm just thinking of, you know, the few times I've had to have a tree removed um, and I've had a couple guys bid on it and I'll get this, you know, dramatically varying price. And it's because one guy had access to a skid steer and the other guy didn't, you know, so it becomes a labor issue. But when you're actually trying to maintain a long section to be sawn into boards, um, I would imagine. Certainly the safety issue goes way, way up or the safety, the risk goes way, way up at that point. Um, you know, the, the, the labor to move it goes up a fair bit. And I imagine the time to remove it would change as well. All that equals money, right? To the homeowner, to whomever you're moving it for. Have you found that that becomes a factor? Um, the re- let, me, let me clarify. My, my ulterior motive here is, you know, I would love to see more arborists doing what you're doing but I wonder what's the sustainability of it. You've got to run a business. Can you be competitive, in other words, um, compared to the guy who's just chopping it up in firewood and taking it down faster, taking it down safer?
1: Yeah, so uh, most in, in my specific line of work, the the cost of removing these trees in, in an urban Setting, so you know we've got we've got power lines, houses, roads, uh, you know infrastructure in the ground, gas lines, sewage, uh, you know irrigation. Um, that in a, a lot of cases, you know, we may have some large uh, oak or some large pine that that may take a solid two days of of climbing to remove this tree. Well, we start factoring in, you know, I got a crew of you know three or four five guys, you know skid steer, dump trailer, chipper, chip truck, you know, all this equipment in, involved and personnel that the, the cost of getting that tree down and hauled out is far greater than what you could like say, take that log to the mill and sell it for, Right. you know, by the, by the ton. And because of that, that really doesn't affect the cost of the removal okay um because the cost of removal is so high no now if if somebody said hey i've got you know 20 acres and about you know seven of it is nice big walnut trees well we're that totally different yeah (laughs) I, i may be paying them money to go get their trees um and so it it doesn't, you know, if, if I'm hauling off tonnage, that that incurs, you know, an expanse wear and tear on the vehicles. Of course, you know, anybody that's seen a, the, the price at the diesel pump right now, okay. uh, that's a, a pretty high cost at the moment. Um, but that doesn't, you know, I still want to salvage sure. this wood as much as possible. I, I don't want to see it go to waste. Uh, and a, a very high percentage of our work, you know, people don't have the, the desire the means uh or anything to deal with this wood on their own uh yeah. you know not everybody just has a sawmill and a you know a tractor or a skid steer laying around um uh,
0: i think there's also perception that um not every tree is worth sawing and and there's there's some truth to that not every tree is worth sawing but i think the general public doesn't realize that you know there there could be value from this the fact of the matter is, is the value is probably a lot lower. You get these guys, I get phone calls all the time with the lumberyard. You know, I've got this tree, you know, how much do you want to buy it for, uh, buy it from me for? And I'm like, uh, it's the other way around, my friend. <laughs> You're yeah. going to have to pay someone to remove that tree. It doesn't, you know, the value is so far downstream from the log um, that it doesn't quite work that way. So there's a lot of folks who don't even really think of, that tree in their backyard could actually be turned into into boards, um, which maybe there's some re-education that needs to happen there. But um, I, I certainly don't think somebody in your line of work is looking to recoup costs from a removal by making boards. It's almost a separate business in itself, I would imagine. You know, you have to Correct. build an inventory, you have to saw an inventory, and, and really the, the, the benefit, I suppose, is your material kind of sort of doesn't have cost. You know, if, if you think of it as the sawmill is a separate operation and your tree removal is feeding the material to the sawmill. And as long as you're operating in the black, you know, on the tree removal side, and you're not requiring profit from the boards, in other words, to, to, to pay the guys on the crew and all that stuff, essentially mm-hmm. that lumber, that log... Has no cost. Um, uh, <laughs> I'm I'm rolling my eyes a little bit when I say that, but you know, yeah. But at least the raw material that's you're going to get fed into that sawmill um, is is you're not having to buy it from someone. In other words, so that can be somewhat enticing, um, and that kind of leads to a whole other issue. Um, I saw <clears throat> uh, one of the more relative, recent pictures on your Instagram feed was, uh, of your log yard. You were developing a log yard. You're developing a a near inventory of logs. So I'm curious, um, when you get a job to remove a tree and you've, you've gone and you've looked at it and you've determined, okay, we'd like to try to, you know, make some boards out of this. Let's try to salvage this log as much as we can. What kind of turnaround time, is it from when you felled that tree to when you actually
1: would saw it into boards? That's a hard uh, mm-hmm. question to pin down right now. Uh, if, if the customer is wanting something out of that tree. So s- sometimes we make a deal where uh, we'll cut the tree down. Um, and, and we did this recently a little lot clearing. I've called a lot clearing. We cut three trees down uh, two sweet gums and a, uh, uh, I believe a white oak, a uh, corcus alba. Um, mm-hmm. And we we sawed the oak, uh, some slabs, like some two-inch slabs, I think some one, maybe one and a quarter. Um, and uh, we're making a fireplace mantle for them and then a like a sliding barn door type door, uh, uh, I think for their bedroom. And... In that scenario, I'm gonna want to not bury those logs so that I yeah. can get them milled quickly, start the drying process, and and get get that stuff built for them faster. But if there's no specific project, you know, for a log, right. uh, it just get it gets stacked, and you know, it's we we get to it someday. Sure, because this is. And I think you kind of hit on this already. You know, the the sawmill end is pretty much a whole nother industry. We're still dealing with trees, but it's totally different. Yeah. And I'm you know learning as I go. And one one challenge I'm trying to overcome right now is I'm wanting to hire somebody full time. You know, this is forty hours a week. You know, indefinitely uh, to start running this mill so that I can. Have a, a shorter time frame between when when the logs hit hit the shop and and get them milled and you know stickered and stacked. Yeah, um,
0: yeah, it's definitely and uh, it's it's a different crew and a different skill set than than what your your current staff is.
1: Yeah, so right now, uh, the, kind of the way we're operating it, uh, our mill is under a, an awning on the back side of the shop, and if if rain isn't getting driven in sideways we get rained out on tree work well we can go run the mill or we can do other stuff inside the building so right now it's we're kind of filling in our slow time on the tree service and but things are getting to a point now where i need somebody full time dedicated to the mill and then other you know duties associated with the mill yeah. um you know, a 40 hour work week, they might only run that mill for, you know, 15 or 20 hours. And then the other, the other time is, you know, cataloging, you know, stickering, stacking, moving stuff down to the field, you know, all, all that, that, you know, selecting logs for filling, uh, you know, custom orders, a um, lot, lot of other duties other than just operating the mill. Right. Uh,
0: so in your current business, um, because like, for instance, you just mentioned the customer that you're you know, making a, a door and a, and a mantle for. So you're actually doing some woodwork at the same time. You're doing you're building things from these boards that you're making.
1: Correct. Uh, we have a few other artisans around the area that for for the short term, we're having them build some stuff for us because they, they already have the experience. Uh, they have the tooling. You know for me to have a full-blown woodworking shop you know i, I needed a, you know another hundred thousand dollars or so yeah uh to get it outfitted and instead that's something that will be yeah and staffed so that's something that will happen gradually over time so in the meantime we can hire local talent you know and i, I try to keep things as local as i possibly can right um uh yeah so, some things we're doing in-house like we're uh we do a lot of epoxy you know like the river tables mm-hmm. uh i've been casting pine cones in epoxy and having our guy turn bowls out of them um and so on my end personally i don't have a lot of woodworking experience so that's something that i i just i call it the slow boil you know i just just <laughs> very gradually you know tinker around with things i know i'm gonna make lots of mistakes. Yeah. uh, get, get them made, you know, learn, learn these things, um, and kind of let that be the slow boil on gaining experience. And so you're telling me that you actually sleep at night instead of just keep working the whole time. God, where's your, uh,
0: where's your commitment? I mean, come on.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, so, some nights, uh, I, I can't turn my brain off cause I'm thinking about some, you know, project or something. Yeah. Um, well, it's particularly that's... interesting.
0: And and I I love kind of the direction you're heading, but also kind of where you are now, um, you know, for lack of a better term, outsourcing it to to local craftsmen, building kind of a small community, a cooperative effort here. Um, if you think mm-hmm. about it, it's kind of the way it was done for thousands of years. You know, the, the village economy, that's how it worked. Mm-hmm. And because of that, There was a great understanding of the resources at every step in in the chain. So this goes back to this kind of this re-education that, you know, you've got a tree growing in your yard or you you walk by this tree every day on your way to work. And, you know, the middle of a town somewhere, that tree could actually have a life after, you know, it comes down. That's the other re-education is I think a lot of people tend to Mm -hmm. think trees are um, they all live for thousands of years. You know, no. (laughs) <laughs> They're not yeah. all sequoias. They, they don't live that nearly as long as people think. And in many instances, 30, 60 years sometimes can be normal for a lot of these temperate species. 100 years, certainly, in, on if completely left untouched. But in an urban environment, you know, that's really, really unheard of. So the fact that one shop or one kind of cooperative of artisans, um, sawmill, tree removal guys are giving life to this material, this tree that was in Joe's yard. Now could be, you know, a door or it could be a bowl or both, you know, or a spoon, mm-hmm. all this stuff. Um, and, and having kind of your business espousing this idea that there's more to just removing the tree. Like when the tree comes down, yes, it's not in your yard anymore for whatever reason, it doesn't nor should it just get mulched um, or thrown into a landfill um, or something like that. There can be a life after that, and that's really where this whole idea of of embracing domestic species, embracing native trees, and hyper local sourcing gets really exciting to me. Um, and I think where whether you ever get to having a wood shop and guys actually building things from the board you're you're making or not certainly that that would be great for for your own enterprise but just the fact that you are producing boards um and and partnering with local artisans in order to make things i think is a huge step in the right direction frankly so kudos on that that's great
1: thank you thank you um I know you've touched on it in some some of your other episodes. Uh, yeah, this uh, almost a decentralizing of, and it's not just the lumber industry. A lot of other industries seem to be doing this. Um, yes, yeah, say the, the the farmers market movement. Yeah, um, and, and and yeah, we're seeing it. Uh, I think you called it. It might have been your last episode. Uh, micro mills. Mm-hmm. Um, And, you know, so say one big sawmill shuts down that was producing, you know, several million board feet a year. Well, that's a big gap in the supply chain that can get filled by, you know, I don't know, a (laughs) hundred or two hundred, you know, however many uh, small sawmill operations. um, That are probably much closer to the source. You know,
0: that, that centralized mill producing a million board feet is then distributing it via trucks and rail to a bunch of other, you know, retailers. Um, whereas you could take up that million board feet from those bunch of different guys, but those bunch of different guys could be spread over, you know, hundred square miles, um, 200 square yeah. miles, a thousand square miles, um, and still mm-hmm. fill the gaps in the demand part of the supply chain um, through local sourcing, which, I mean, you think about the overhead that is eliminated when you go that route. That's kind of fascinating. That's, that's oh, exciting.
1: Yeah, um, and if I was just thinking about this earlier, uh, if I use the term local, I, I'm that's kind of very specific to basically the county that I live in. I mean, most of the work we do is in county, mm-hmm. and we're talking you know that's that's a pretty small area on on this planet. <laughs> and all this is is happening you know within that that little area um the yeah like you said the the transport costs are down stuff isn't moving as far not as much fuels getting burned uh doing all this and it's it's a byproduct from another industry that was already going to take place and then we're just reclaiming some of this
0: yeah um, I, I've got a an episode that's gonna be published. Well, at the time of this recording, it should be published in a few days. But um the statistic that came out of that is there are thirty-six million urban trees felled annually, which oh, wow. is a significant percentage higher than what is felled through traditional logging practices from actual forests. Mm. Um, concessions managed for boards. 36 million trees in urban environments are felled for any number of reasons. Um, and, and we kind of touched on that. Uh, a lot of it is end of life, um, you know, new construction, things like that. Um, and with 36 million trees, the majority of them are going into landfills, are being mulched. Um, and, and this this urban logging movement, this idea is to stop that. You know, certainly some trees need to be mulched. Um, some trees don't end up making boards and the, that's fine. You know, we need mulch, we need firewood. Um, those are, those are not bad things. Um, but Mm. seeing the, you know, like you said, bucking these trees when you know that there's quality boards in there, it's just, it's heartbreaking. So there's a huge opportunity and this turns it into a grassroots movement. This idea that, uh, I, as a woodworker, want to build a cabinet. And, you know, one of the first things I do when I design a project is think about what do I want to build this in? Like what species, what color palette, what am I kind of looking for? And and lately, these days, I turn to, you know, what's a wood I haven't used before? I'd love to, I'd love to get my hands into into something unusual that I haven't Worked, or worked before. And for many, many years, that used to be like, oh, look at these shiny exotics. You know, oh, this one's yellow. This one's purple. This one's, you know, look at bright red. And we kind of went mm-hmm. through that fascination. And now I've gone the opposite direction and I'm looking for grain and I'm looking for this local species that not only have I not worked before, but I could actually get it again. You know, yeah, I, I haven't built a piece out of Macassar ebony. Um, and maybe if I you know, sell my car, I could go buy enough Macassar ebony to build that piece. (laughs) But then I'd never be able to do it again. You know, not only would I not be able to raise the money to do it, but I probably wouldn't be able to find enough Macassar ebony again to do that. And it's coming from the other side of the world and let's not even get started on the ebony forestry. So this is something that we're not only finding new species, but we're tapping into a whole new supply chain that doesn't require, you know, shipping across huge distances. And what I think is really cool, back to this kind of idea that there's this cooperative grassroots effort, I am supporting a local business who saw that log into a board. And I may be supporting a local business who actually felled that tree. And if I want, I can go see where that tree came from. Because here at the, is at the, the root of a lot of the, the issues within the lumber industry right now is traceability especially when we're talking exotics and when we talk about environmental concerns and worries about was that legally logged? How do we know if it was legally logged? Well, we need to trace it back to the stump. We need to verify that the board in my hand came from a log that came from this geotagged or branded stump in this forest somewhere in South America. The longer that supply chain gets, the harder that is to do. When you're sourcing locally, and, and let's define it the way you did within your county traceability is easy yeah it's on joe's farm see that spot over there on the other side of the fence that's where it came from traceability mm-hmm. is no longer an issue which means all of the questions about sustainability about responsible forestry they kind of go out the window now i mean certainly <laughs> it could have come from joe's yard on the other side of the fence and not needed to be cut down and that's not necessarily responsible harvesting but it's also a heck of a lot easier to discover that. Um, so a lot of these ideas of certification and, and, and um, uh, FSC, all of that kind of becomes irrelevant because we know exactly where it came from. And we know who saw it. We know the name of the guy who saw it. We know what day of the week he sought it on. That's, that is, it's a paradigm shift and it kind of blows my mind based on the work that I do day in and day out at, at a lumberyard. It's so incredibly different. It's really cool to think about.
1: Yeah, and you know, along with that, you know, this this whole grassroots movement, we've got some strengths, you know that, that are that are working in our favor. You know, a lot of these large mills, they optimize the mills for you know a, a certain genus uh, of, of wood, uh-huh. uh, a certain size range of, of log, and if a log is you know too small or too large, uh, they 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 can't even utilize it whereas us small guys you know if, if i say uh you know okay a 28 inch mill isn't uh, big enough for what i need i can go buy a larger mill and i can start taking stuff that c- would never ever ever get milled in a more you know traditional you know large uh sawmill operation and also i can choose you know th- this this oddball stuff i uh, later today a fellow is going to drop off uh, some Kentucky coffee tree logs mm. that I'm going to mill for him. And I don't think I've ever, even ever cut one down here in hot springs. Uh, this one was probably intentionally planted here. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can, we can saw logs that large mills wouldn't, uh, you know, there's, there's not a lot of them growing. So a a large sawmill may say, you know, we don't, we don't want to mess with that because we're only going to get, you know, a couple thousand board feet cut this year. And that's not enough to supply, you know, any potential, you know, large demand for it. So they don't even want to fiddle with it.
0: Right. And Um, if they don't have a demand for that species, you're essentially taking time. You're taking time away from the mill. The mill has a mm -hmm. capacity of X per day. Um, and and you're, you're going to run this random tree that they may never see again, that's x minus whatever the time is to, to mill that tree. Um, the optimization that has to happen to run a large mill like that, and the automation for that matter that has to happen, does not allow for variation on the input end of things. Um, and that that is that's a I'm glad you brought that up because it's a it's a major issue that we've seen highlighted you know during the COVID pandemic and. The labor shortage that's occurred after that is mills were unable, they weren't agile enough to change mm-hmm. what they were doing, um, to change their input source, whoever they're getting their logs from. Um, and when that dried up, they, they they basically shut down. They weren't able to pivot and do something alternative because in order to change would require... Massive, like ripping back to the studs, you know, to use a metaphor there. Um, yeah, and, yeah, and that that that's an issue. Whereas the little guys, you're nothing but agile. <laughs> you know, pivot is what you do all day long. um mm-hmm. And that that's particularly interesting. So I guess while we're we're talking about kind of the ability to be diverse and that, um, what kind of species do you see down your way? You know, Kentucky coffee tree, obviously. That's that's why they call it Kentucky coffee tree. We don't see it too much in your neck of the
1: woods. Exactly. Um, so uh, I'll kind of start at the top where, uh, you know, by, by volume, mm-hmm. uh, pine and oak is are, are, the, are the dominant genus uh, of our forests here or Are we talking uh, in southern yellow,
0: like Pinus strobus, or where are we? Uh, what do you call I think pine? we've got some southern yellow. Okay. We've
1: got some short leaf. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe we have some long leaf. Um, And then uh, on the oak side, we, a lot of white oaks, so the Quercus alba, Quercus yeah. uh, rubra. Um, let's see, we've got a lot of uh, willow oak, that's on the red oak side,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, post oak. Um, decent amount of hickory, although I, I don't saw a whole lot of it. Um, black cherry or, or wild cherry, a uh, decent amount of that lot of hackberry Hmm. Uh, i've not sawed a whole lot of it but i'm going to be playing around with it trying to get some uh, to spalt yeah um it shouldn't be too hard a little bit of no no not at all a little bit of sycamore we're we're mountainous here with a lot of rock a a lot of shale and any of the sycamore we have is usually you know down around creeks and whatnot um so we've got a little bit of that uh elm uh a little bit of the American elm, uh, uh, winged elm, not not a whole lot of it. We have very little ash here. I think only two and a half percent of our forests are ash, uh, so we, we don't touch that very often. You and might, we you do might have be better
0: off, honestly, <laughs> the way the ash yeah, no, we are not forests. I think you're probably
1: safer that yeah. way. Oh yeah, we've we've already been removing trees that that have been killed by EAB. Yeah. Um. Yeah, let, let's see what else we. Every now and then there's some oddball stuff. I, I've got a couple of pretty decent size uh, black locusts. Eh, I don't know. It might be honey, I think honey locust logs. A uh, little bit of eastern red cedar. Not a huge amount. We kind of got to start getting over towards Oklahoma uh, to start seeing more of that. A mm-hmm. little bit of black walnut. Uh, I, I, I'm always on the lookout for that. Sure. Uh, but the, the, the oak and the pine, that, that's that's the predominant. Yeah. Uh,
0: no poplar, though, huh?
1: Too far west, I'm guessing? I think so. Um, no, not not really. Uh, yeah, I've never quite sometimes figured so, so- out where the line is. Um,
0: uh, you know, Arkansas is, well, I mean, it's pretty central when you think about yeah, yeah, it's probably too far west. Um,
1: yeah, hoppers. well, even, even just within Arkansas, we've got a pretty wide range. You get down into the uh, southern Arkansas, and it's all flatland, you know, agriculture, mm-hmm. uh, swamps down yeah. there, uh, you know, a lot of cypress. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and then you know here in central Arkansas, we're in the Ouachita Mountain Range, and so we start getting mountainous. Uh, and then we get into northern Arkansas and we kind of start getting into the Ozarks yeah. and things change again up there. You know, a little bit different weather patterns, a uh, mm-hmm. lot more black walnut in northern uh, Arkansas. Uh, we don't see much box elder around here, but we kind of start getting north of I-40 and it, it, it pops up a lot more. Uh, a lot of things will grow here. If people plant them. Right. Uh, but yeah. And any, anytime something oddball comes along, you know, I try to save it and, and, uh, mill it and just see what it's like. I, I haven't found too many woods that, that aren't pretty. Right. So yeah.
0: Yeah. They're all, they're all have some value somewhere. So what is your operation like? Um, you, you've sawn it into slabs. Um, do you, how are you drying? Do you, do you have, uh, kiln drying capacity? Are you air drying everything? What, how's that all work?
1: Yeah. Uh, right now we're in, so we're, we're in a, a, a heavy buildup phase. Um, we've been, you know, actively, uh, either milling ourselves or having other mills mill for us for the last probably three years. And, uh, I'm really not wanting to cheat the system. You know, it, you can't fake High quality hardwood. Um, I think many people have attempted, but it just it doesn't work. Yeah. So we are long, slow, dry down in the field at our shop, and we're hoping this summer, sometime, to have our uh, kiln up and running. We're doing we're going to do a, a Nile uh, dehumidification mm-hmm. uh, kiln in a shipping container, and so we'll we'll air dry the stuff you know, slow and natural down to, you know, 20% uh, yeah. moisture content and, and then move it uh, into the kiln. Uh, so we, we have, we've had a makeshift kiln in the past at worked, but it was extremely slow and we're not using that right now. So we do have some kiln dried in our inventory uh, and a lot of uh, air dried uh, in the inventory. So anybody doing, you know, hand tools, uh, you know, we we got you covered.
0: Sure. So what is what is your inventory? Like what is the size of your inventory now then? Any
1: idea? Uh, I I've, I've got to update my my spreadsheet, but I think we're somewhere around oh, between 8 and 10,000 board feet, I okay. would say. Fantastic. And we're we're very heavy on the live edge slab. Uh, trying to get a lot of that big heavy stuff milled early on because it takes so long to dry right. and here in the next several months I'm, I'm going to start hitting real hard a lot of dimensional so you know four quarter five quarter uh you know square posts you know thing, things like that uh, more on the dimensional side and what is your um,
0: determination factor for um when you would de- turn something into dimensional lumber are you are you deciding by species or like the shape of the log or what you know yield etc cetera?
1: Yeah. So I've, I've, I've kind of learned that, you know, when I set that log on the mill at that point in time, I kind of need to start having some idea of the end product. So I I need to mill with something in mind down the end because I mean, yeah, we can glue stuff together, but it's much better if I mill it very close to the dimensions that somebody wants to, to, to use. Mm -hmm. Um, so if we have a, a good clean log uh you know the, the the first log up from the ground you know no no knots no defects uh i will want to saw that into dimensional lumber uh, if we've got a real gnarly tree or or higher up uh say a big pine we start getting into all the limbs uh i might do you know like like one in you know one by six uh you know knotty pine boards or do slabs because when we're doing you know eight quarter 12 quarter slabs it's so massive that we're not uh, a knot isn't going to weaken that slab right. as compared to you know making a two by four out of it sure um so that's a big factor is you know what what condition is that log in you know if it has a lot of defects, then I'm going to go for, you know, uh, fireplace mantles, you know, live edge slabs, things like that. Right. Um, and so now uh, I, I've got to bulk up the, the dimensional side. So for, for structures, you know, uh, building the legs uh, for, for a table, um, you know, or bookshelves, you know, th- things of that nature. So it's a, it's, it's a learning process as I'm going. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, I can tell you, um, you know, if you were to um, find that magic person who can run your mill all day long, someone that, that has that experience, they are absolutely have a milling plan when they're looking at that log. And some of the sawmill operators that I've known um, in the last decade, just where I've been working they're amazing um they can you know i I feel like they just play tetris in their head they look at a log Mm -hmm. and they can immediately see how i'm going to twist it what i'm going to get out of it how i'm going to best yield the best yield i'm going to get from that log based upon a specification i'm trying to meet because in many instances um, kind of like the customer that you struck a deal with that you take down the tree and make these things. You have a product in mind for that particular log, or you have a product in mind and you're selecting a log based upon that product in mind. So you're milling that whole log with the intention of, of netting very specific sizes, widths, lengths, et cetera. Um, that's an amazing thing to watch. Um, and, and a, a skill set that if you find, don't let go of it ever because <laughs> that, that one <laughs> guy will, will, will make you a lot of money uh, and save you a lot of money probably is the better way to look at it that way. It's really fascinating to watch someone like that work um, when, you, when you see them just making very intuitive changes to the orientation of the log or the thickness they're sawing and they end up with just this stack of sticks that you have no idea how they did it. But, you know, you look at it and go, oh my God, like there, you know, to use your earlier example, well, there's a leg, there's another leg, <laughs> there's the first shelf, mm-hmm. second shelf, holy crap, you know, and, and you're right, they've sawn it, like almost to the size that you need, you just need to go and, you know, plane it and and, and you're done. So that's, that's fascinating. Um, more than anything, though, and I'm, I'm glad we were able to to get you on just because it's, it's interesting to hear what you're trying to do really is this end to end Solution. Um, you've got uh, an intimate knowledge of the material that you're sawing because it was you and your crew that actually pulled it, you know, out of the ground, or I don't know, you didn't mm-hmm. really pull it out of the ground, but you get the idea. I've Felled <laughs> it from where it grew for the last however many decades, um, and you're sawing it into those boards. And man, I can imagine there's a certain amount of attachment <laughs> that comes to this beautiful slab. And getting to see it made into something, um, what a rewarding thing to see! That's that's really amazing. So I guess yeah. the, the the important thing is for those in and around the Arkansas area. Um, I mean, do do you have a do you have a showroom? Is can people come by and 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 look through their inventory? How are you How are you getting wood into the hands of woodworkers like myself?
1: Yeah, so we do have a a showroom. Our our shop is located in an industrial park and so we're in a good setting we're not you know upset our neighbors uh but we have a a showroom that people can come uh look at things uh talk to us about their the projects they have uh as of right now we do not have a website and we're kind of operating real heavy through our facebook page uh and we do have an etsy store that we're just at the beginnings of you know getting that uh, up and running, uh, and of course we got our, our Instagram and, and uh, a YouTube channel, but the bulk of our communication uh, with customers is is happening through Facebook right now.
0: Okay, well that's good to know, um, and and I I urge people to um, look them up on 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 Instagram because there is really some fascinating stuff. Some of the line work that you guys do is incredible. Watching, um, watching you know, there was one I saw where you were removing a tree that grew through a deck or the deck was built around the tree. And, you know, the guy's <laughs> yeah. standing under the deck. I don't know, that, that might've been you. I couldn't see who it was in the, uh, uh, in the video, but sawing mm. this tree from underneath the deck. And when he breaks through, the tree just kind of disappears. Just kind of lifts up out of the way, just floated away, you know, because of the line work <laughs> above it. It's really amazing stuff to see. Um, but I, am looking at, I'm looking at this, uh, your, your Facebook page right now. And certainly this is a way to, to get in touch. So I, I would recommend anyone, uh, you know, even close by, um, you know, we got, we got 8,000 Ford feet of lumber sitting here waiting for somebody to build something out of it. That all has a story, uh, that Caleb would probably tell you where it came from as well, which is, I think, a particularly powerful thing to say, uh, as a woodworker, to build a chair or a table or whatever, and to be able to say, here's where it came from, and I could actually drive you to where the tree came from, is a very, very powerful thing. Um, and I think we need more of that. Um, we need more of this locally sourced thing to so that we can all tell continue to tell that story. So very, very cool stuff, Caleb. Um, anything Thank else you. you'd like to say to kind of wrap this up?
1: Yeah. Um, I kind of say some encouraging words to, to others out there on this journey. Um, in, in our fast paced society, uh, we, we've kind of lost some of this uh, 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 delayed gratification, you know, p- putting in, in the hard groundwork uh, for a payback, you know, a temporary pain for, you know, long-term, you know, comfort. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm I'm at the beginning of this journey on the milling and woodworking, end, but I've got you know 12 plus years prior to this of, of, of getting to this point, and you know it's, it's easy to get discouraged in, in in these endeavors. And there's guys you know ahead of me. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm just, you know Matt Cremona. Uh, the guy's phenomenal on his broad skill set and. You know, the time frame, some of his videos, you know, span a a year or more Mm -hmm. on on producing a video. And so for everybody else, you know, just stepping out on this journey, uh, you know, keep keep your goal in mind. Uh, Don't let little things, you know, uh, discourage you, stop you. You know, machinery is going to break down. Uh, You know, people aren't going to show up, things of that nature. (laughs) But just, just keep hammering. You know, don't be patient, but also be stubborn. And uh, it, will, it will pay off. Someday you're going to look back and say, yeah, I'm, I'm glad I did all that because it got me to where I'm at right now. And, and I like where I'm at right now.
0: That's fantastic. I like that. Be patient but stubborn. <laughs> Very nice. That, uh, and I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't agree more um, because I really think what you're doing and this applies across multiple industries. I mean, we're talking about the lumber industry and the construction trade, but this this grassroots sourcing and this kind of cooperative, you know, idea. Call it, let's just call it that village economy. I think is going to become a bigger and bigger mover. Um, but the mm-hmm. cool thing is, is we have the modern technology to help enable it. Um, we have the ability to to source locally, but sell globally um, through things like the internet. Uh, We have the technology to, in some ways, um, uh, optimize and possibly automate some of our um, processes. Um, We are able to tap into much, much larger networks. Um, In many ways, that's the irony, right? I mean, you're, you're sourcing within the county, maybe you're selling within the county, but people may have just learned of you through this podcast you know there's a guy down the road um you know maybe not down the road but down somewhere in you know southern arkansas somewhere um yeah. who just learned of a place up in hot springs where he can go buy lumber because <laughs> he was listening to a podcast from some hack in baltimore maryland um <laughs> that is that's the exciting thing that i think we can continue to do so um like caleb said if 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 you're running a mill, if you're just getting into this, there is a place for you in the supply chain. Um, And you may be just the guy that doesn't really want to sell it. I mean, you mentioned Matt. Matt doesn't really want to sell his stuff. He does sometimes, but he's doing it for his own own projects. He's hoarding the lumber. Um, Mark Spagnolo and I often accuse him of being a bit of a hoarder. Um, So, you know, that's okay. (laughs) It's fine. You know, at least he builds nice things, right? If he was just the guy that collected lumber and never built anything with it, then I might have an issue. So at least some of it is getting, yeah. getting used. But there are there are guys like Matt and there are guys, you know, like yourself when you got started, still running an Alaskan mill that, that um, the enjoyment that comes from sawing a log, from opening up a log and getting boards from it becomes uh, kind of the hobby to the point where now you have a whole bunch of wood. And now you're thinking, well, how am I ever going to make something from this? There is an opportunity there. There's an opportunity there for you to tap into the supply chain, um, maybe make a little bit of money, um, maybe not, I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. It depends on, 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 on really what your goals are. But I think this idea of small sawmills and locally sourced lumber is going, it's got legs um, and it's, it's, it's going to transform the industry, I think.
1: Um, yeah. Uh, one more thought. Uh, sure. You, you know, there, there's, the exotic wind industry gets a lot of attention. You know, you've talked about it a lot. We, I mean, we even mentioned it earlier uh, in, in the episode here. But here's an interesting thought. To all the rest of the world, the wood that we have here in North America is exotic. It is exotic. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah. So it it, it may seem plain to us, uh, but to all the rest of the world, you know, American wood or North American uh, continent, you know, uh, native wood is exotic. So, you know, we we got some nice stuff here uh, that doesn't grow, you know, throughout the entire world.
0: And, you know, the funny thing is, is um, like Australia has out and out banned native timbers. You can't fell them. So there's a bunch hmm. of people going, well, where are we going to get our wood? They're getting it from North America. Like they have nothing but an exotic lumber market right now because the native <laughs> stuff. And I don't know how long, you know, somebody's got to find the false in that eventually. But yeah, you know, exotic is all relative. Where you buy your lumber from, you could buy your lumber from two states over and it's pretty darn exotic compared to, uh, let me you tell you what, I'll send you some, some exotic poplar. <laughs> Ooh, from, nice. from the East Coast, you know it's a commodity <laughs> product out here. I think I think it probably have a shed with about three three million board feet of poplar right oh, now wow. uh, outside the window. So um, you know we we consider it just everyday, r- literally run of the mill type material. Um, but apparently in Central Arkansas, and it's exotic material. So yeah, it's all relative terms. But it's you know yeah. it's a great point. It's a great point. And and the more we can think of our wood is the primary source, our wood meaning domestic North American wood. Think of that as our primary source um, and begin to explore the, the, the rainbow of colors and grains that we have. Um, yeah. I think, I think it's all going to end up being for the best. Um, yeah. I say that and I work for a company that's still 60% exotic, but you know, we're, we're, we're transforming too. So.
1: Anyway. Yeah. Well, you know, it, I call it growing a a very large hungry beast and uh, a very large company like, like with the large mills can't just stop right in their tracks, you know, turn on a dime, so to speak. And uh, but, but those of us that that can look forward and see changing trends and, and respond to those are going to survive and and thrive.
0: And more Uh, importantly, there is a place in the market for companies that, aren't big and don't want to be big. Um, and I think there's, there's this perception that success comes from you build your business and you grow your business and you, you franchise and you have X number of employees. And there are a lot, the majority of businesses out there that are perfectly content with a four-person payroll. They have no desire to grow it to a 400-person payroll. And mm-hmm. those companies as you just said, have the ability to be agile, have the ability to see those trends, embrace those trends, be the early adopters, and they will drive the industry, um, you know, and, and they have to stay there. So yeah, all the little mills, all the little sawmill owners that might be listening to this at this point, don't change, <laughs> you know, keep doing what you're doing, um, because it's you guys that are, that are making this lumber possible. I would not be able to buy sassafras if I just had to rely upon large commercial mills because they won't touch the yeah. stuff, um, Kentucky yeah. coffee tree, forget about it. You're not going to be able to get that anywhere. Um, mm-hmm. but apparently they're going to be, have a, for a rare moment, there's going to be some in hot spring, Arkansas. So act quickly.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, no, I'm, I'm sawing it for him. Yeah, I, uh, really? he's not, I'm not buying the log from him. I'm sawing it and then he's taking it with him. Uh, but I will be taking some pictures and probably post those and, and, uh, uh, in fact, just just this morning, I milled a uh, fireplace mantle out of a catalpa log. Oh, nice! And and that was that was real pretty. I think that's the first catalpa that I've milled. That is a pretty uh, wood. And there's another one. Yeah, that,
0: uh, I, I've seen it in a retail lumber yard maybe once, and it was the same type of thing. It was a yard that has a sawmill, um, and it was just like they somehow I think uh, like the the people they were buying logs from like didn't know what they had and they dropped off a bunch of cherry and whatever. And you know, this Catalpa was kind of thrown into it. Um, fantastic wood to work, really enjoyed it, but uh, you know, you can't go to a retail yard and pick that up because it's just, it's not in the supply chain and the big commercial mills don't know what it is. Don't know how it is. Don't know how to dry it. And they're not going to touch it. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's important that, that the little guys continue to be there. Um, and, uh, be stubborn. There's going to be our, that's going to be our, our new bumper sticker for this episode. Be stubborn, be patient and be stubborn. I like it. Yep. Well, Caleb, thanks so much for your time. It was really interesting to kind of talk to someone with your breadth of experience, not only in, in, in the, the removal, but down to the sawmill. And I think it's fantastic. Um, You know, what you're doing, recognizing you got a lot to learn, recognizing there's a long way to go and just keep pushing. I think that's awesome. It's great. Yeah. So folks, thank you for having if, me. If you're you anywhere near near Arkansas, you may have just found a new place to go buy some lumber. So, um check out CD's Trees and uh um you know, you you can google them. I just did and I found everything. I found Facebook, I found the um this is essentially your mm-hmm. gallery right here. Um so yeah, a little bit of googling will find it, um but uh, I'll also post links in the show notes to this episode. So, um go check out caleb's stuff and check out his instagram and and as i say at the end of every show go buy some lumber but go buy it from caleb now (laughs)